0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The Need for Truth. All right, well, you know that while John, the Apostle John, was incarcerated on the island of Patmos in AD 95, Uh, that he heard a loud voice behind him that sounded somehow like a trumpet. And the voice said, write. That's why you have the book of Revelation, by the way, 2,000 years later. The, The voice said, write what you will see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so when when John turned around to find out who in the world was talking to him, he turned and he was blown away to, to see that the voice came from Jesus Christ himself. And so John, blown away, there's the Lord, the resurrected Lord. And John went on in chapter one, we saw this, to describe what Jesus looked like when Jesus appeared to him on the island of Patmos. And so the Lord was wearing a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. John said that his hair was so white it looked like freshly fallen snow. He said his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like polished brass that had been refined in the fire. He said that his, his voice was like many waters. And so imagine at Jensen Beach or, or whatever beach, imagine the, the powerful waves crashing against the shoreline. That's what this voice sounded like. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And so we determined a month ago that those seven stars represent the seven pastors of these churches. Pastors in Jesus' right hand. And out of his mouth came a sharp Two-edged sword, which, of course, we know represents the Word of God. I believe, personally, you may disagree, that the most remarkable feature of the resurrected Christ that John saw was his face. John said that his face shone like the sun in its full strength. I mean, how many of you guys got up this morning and you're trying to drive east and the sun is like in your eyes as it's it's coming up? And that's how the Lord's face was. And so when John saw the resurrected Christ, it says that he fell at his feet like a dead man, because that's what you do when you encounter the true and the living God. And the Lord told John to write. He said, I want you to write seven letters to seven churches, not from John's heart to the Churches that he oversaw, but from Christ's heart. John wrote as Christ dictated these seven letters. We've studied six out of seven of them. Today, we're gonna study the last letter in this series, Christ's seven letters to the seven churches. We're gonna study the church of Laodicea today. Now, last week, my favorite church, the Church of Philadelphia, they received a letter from the Lord and in that letter, it was all praise, all compliments. And you remember this? There was not one rebuke, there was not one correction for the church of Philadelphia. I hope our church will always be like the church of Philadelphia until Jesus comes back to snatch us up off the earth. But then today we come to the church of Laodicea, and they get a letter from the Lord as well. Guess what? No praise no compliments and lots of rebukes and lots of corrections. But it's corrections they needed and it's corrections that we still need to hear today. So the church of Laodicea, they thought they were all that. They thought they were rich and prosperous and in need of nothing at all. They thought they were fine. And the Lord knew they weren't fine. The Lord knew that they needed some truth. They had a need for truth. And so before I get to Jesus and what Jesus is going to say to this church, I want to tell you a little bit about the city. Laodicea in AD 95 was a very prosperous city under Roman rule. You see, the reason that the city was so prosperous is because of location, right? Location, location, location. Well, Laodicea sat at the crossroads of two major Roman roads, and so. Imagine thousands of people um, in any given year traveling down these two Roman roads that intersected at the city of Laodicea. And so Laodicea had all these marketplaces, it was a center for commerce, lots of people went there to buy and sell. And so they were prosperous, they were wealthy as a city. In fact, they were so wealthy, um, I read in one, one commentary this past week that after an earthquake leveled the city, they refused government funds from the Roman Empire and from their own money, they rebuilt the entire city. So they were rich, they were wealthy, and they were known for their gold. This is important. They were known for their gold, their wool, and believe it or not, their eye salve. They had a medical school that produced eye salve, which they exported all across the Roman world. Three commodities that the Lord is going to talk about later on in his letter today. And so as we read the letter, I want you to think about Jesus as an experienced, trusted doctor. And I want you to think about the Laodiceans as stubborn patients. Okay, that'll help you as you read through this letter. And so how many times do doctors in in our day and age, in every day and age, how many times do doctors say to their patients, you know, you know, You really need to uh, start eating a healthier diet. You really need to start exercising regularly. You really need to start getting more rest. But how often does a doctor's advice fall on deaf ears? How often do doctors say, you really need to stop smoking? You really need to stop eating all that junk food? You really need to stop working all those insane hours? You're all stressed out, right? But how often does doctor's advice go uh, fall on deaf ears? And then later in life, what happens is that people, their health fails, and then what do they think after their health fails later in life? They think, man, if I only listen to the advice of my doctor. This whole uh, uh, topic that we're talking about right now reminded me in my study this past week of Vince Lombardi. I love football. I love biographies, and so um, when you read Vince Lombardi's biography, you know that Vince Lombardi refused his doctor's advice, and it cost him dearly. In 1967, his doctor told him that he needed to have a proctoscopic exam, but Vince Lombardi basically said, thanks, but no thanks, and within three years, of his doctor's advice. Vince Lombardi was diagnosed with colon cancer and just three months after the diagnosis, he was gone. He was just 57 years old. And so why does a person um, refuse the advice of their doctor? Here's why, because we all think, I'll be fine. How many times have you heard that from friends and family members? I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. And that is exactly the attitude of the Laodiceans. They thought, we're rich, we're prosperous, we have need of nothing, we're fine. But the great physician saw right into their hearts. He knew they were not fine. And so he's gonna give them a difficult diagnosis followed by a powerful prescription We're gonna look at both the difficult diagnosis, then we're gonna look at the powerful prescription. But before we do that, I want us to look at the divine doctor, okay? And so if you're looking right now at Revelation chapter three, verse 14, just say amen. here we go with the last letter. And to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And so how do you know if a doctor can be trusted? Well, you look at his credentials. Here's the credentials of the Lord. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness and he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, notice, first of all, he is the amen. That means true. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll hear amen. When the person says amen, they're just saying, that's true, pastor. By the way, more, more of you should say amen every once in a while. Right? So let's practice it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, go. Amen. Yeah. Truth. Right? And as long as you're going verse by verse through the word, and as long as your pastor is rightly dividing the word of truth, it's uh, this truth coming out, and so Jesus is truth. In fact, the, the actual uh, original word means faithful and true, and so it's like the second attribute of the great physician is a definition of the first. And so he's saying to this church, I am the amen, that is, I am the faithful and true witness. Now, why would he say this to the Laodiceans? Here's Why? Because as a great physician, he's about to give them a difficult diagnosis and their natural reaction is gonna be, that can't be true. No way. I want a second opinion from another doctor. And the Lord is saying, you don't need a second opinion. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I'll never steer you wrong. I'll always tell you the truth, even when the truth hurts. And his third attribute is He is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, don't misinterpret that phrase like the cults do. One of the ways that you differentiate between a cult and true Christianity is their Christology. Very important. What do they believe about Jesus Christ? Cults say that Jesus was created. Christianity says he's the creator. Yet cults will look at the phrase and say, look, Jesus just said, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus was the first one created by God. Right? They don't know the definition of the word beginning. So what is that definition? Well, blue letter Bible, it means origin. And so by the way, that's why I, next to the word beginning, Wrote the word origin in my margin so I'll never forget what the word means. Origin, the person or thing that commences. The first person or thing in a series, the leader. Those of you guys who have an NIV, I think it says the ruler. That's a, good, that's a good translation. Origin is an even better translation. The originator. And so what was Jesus saying? Here's what Jesus was saying. I am the originator of the creation of God. And so that fits perfectly with the teaching of the rest of the New Testament. Listen to the word of God here. Please don't mess up on your Christology, ladies and gentlemen, because if you believe in a Jesus that was created, that Jesus cannot save you. There's lots of Jesuses out there, but the Jesus of the Bible, listen to what the Bible says about him. Hebrews 1, 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the originator of the creation. The Father created through him. Colossians 1.16, for by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth. And then, of course, the most famous, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, not a god. False translation. As it says in the New World Translation of the Jehovah Witnesses, false translation. No, the real translation is in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, at creation, the word of God already existed. In the beginning, at the creation, the eternal son of God was already there. And with the father and with the Holy Spirit. He created the material universe. He is the originator of creation. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. He shaped the earth. He shaped you in your mama's womb. We need to make a big deal about Jesus Christ because he is our hero. He is our champion. He's the creator of all things. He's everything. He's why we're here today. Him, Jesus alone. This is not a religion. And it certainly isn't a pep talk to make you feel good about your life. This is about Jesus Christ, him. And so as the great physician and the divine doctor, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's been around for a long time. He's got great credentials. And so again, even when the truth hurts, we need to listen to him. So look at verse 15. He says to this church, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are, what's the word? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, that's what you call a difficult diagnosis. Laodiceans, you're lukewarm. You make me sick. So Jesus, what was he doing? He's the master illustrator, right? I love, I love the way Jesus teaches in the Gospels. Every Bible teacher should study the way Jesus teaches in the Bible because in the Gospels because here's what he does. He always uses uh, things from nature and things around him as word pictures and illustrations. If you ever go with us to Israel, we'll go up to Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel and we go to the exact place where Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you are Petros, little stone. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. What was the rock? The confession that Peter just made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And by the way, it happened, and they're right there, it's this is a big, giant rock. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and there is this hole. And it, it, the pagans in that time believed that hole led down to hell, And so Jesus is always using, look at the birds, look at the flowers of the field, look at the grass. And so here, what does he do? He uses an illustration from the city of Laodicea that they would all be familiar with. And so if you're taking notes, here's the illustration. Jesus compared the city's water temperature with the Laodicean's spiritual temperature. So Laodicea was located in the Um, Lycus River Valley, with two other nearby cities, Heropolis, which was six miles to the north of Laodicea, and then Colossae, which was 10 miles to the east of Laodicea. Heropolis was known for its hot springs, which I'm sure people back then loved to soak in on a a cold uh, day, hot springs up in Heropolis. Colossae was known for its ice cold mountain water, which I'm sure people love to drink on a hot day. But Laodicea was known for not having hardly any water. They had poor water supply, so what did they do? Well, they built aqueducts from Hierapolis down to Laodicea, from Colossae over to Laodicea. They made these aqueducts out of stone and they would pipe in the water from these neighboring cities. And so when the water came from Heropolis, even though it was initially hot, by the time it traveled six miles down to Laodicea, it was lukewarm and probably chalky from the stone aqueduct. And then, even though the the water in Colossae was ice cold, by the time, especially on a warm summer day, by the time it traveled 10 miles to Laodicea, guess what? It was lukewarm and probably, again, chalky because of the stone aqueduct. And so Laodicea was famous not for hot water or cold water. It was famous for lukewarm water that was gross. When I was thinking about this, it reminded me when I was a kid growing up in Tampa. In Tampa, it's warm almost year-round, right? They don't get that Atlantic breeze like we do here on the East Coast. Over there, it's just like stifling heat and 100% humidity and and so, growing up, my brothers and I would play for hours and hours outside, like all brothers growing up in the 70s did. And when we, because we didn't have all the technology, you know, uh, we didn't have all the video games, we had Atari. So, we played Pong. Boop. Boop. And, you know, you're bored with that in five minutes. So, we went outside. And so, we're, we're playing outside for a long, long time. And then, when we got thirsty, we didn't take the time to go into the house. We just went to the hose on the side of the house. And everybody knew when you turn on the spigot, you gotta wait at least 20 seconds for the cold water to get all the way to the end of the hose. Otherwise, you're gonna get a mouthful of lukewarm, nasty water, which you're either gonna spit on the ground or spit on your brother who's in line behind you. And then that's when your brother beats you up. And I I was beat up a lot, but anyway. Jesus tasted the spiritual water from the church of Laodicea and he was like, nasty, lukewarm. Now, what does it mean to be lukewarm? Well, it simply means you're spiritually apathetic. Hmm, I don't wanna step on any toes this morning, but I'm just teaching verse by verse, okay? What is apathy? Apathy. Apathy can be defined in the the dictionary as a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern. And so spiritual apathy is a lack of enthusiasm, interest, or concern about spiritual things. And that's what was going on in the church of Laodicea. And so they're yawning during the Sunday morning sermon. They didn't really care about spiritual things. And that's why Jesus said in verse 19, look at verse 19, we'll skip ahead for just a second. Verse 19, those whom I love, and by the way, aren't you glad Jesus loves all Christians, even the lukewarm ones? His love, man, just goes on and on and on and on. But those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, here it is, so be, what's the word? Zealous, Just the opposite of spiritual apathy. Be zealous and repent. And so, man, the Lord wanted this church to become zealous. I want you, church of Laodicea, to become zealous about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to become zealous about loving your neighbor as yourself. I want you to be zealous about coming to church on time so that you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth because God is looking for people that will worship him in that way. I want you to be zealous about teaching the word of God and then applying it to your life. I want you to be zealous about exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to be zealous about um, uh, producing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. I want you to be zealous about evangelizing the lost about growing spiritually, but this church had no zeal. They were spiritually apathetic, and Jesus said, oh man, I wanna spit you out of my mouth. Some churches make Jesus glad. Other churches make him sad. Other churches make him glad. This church made him gag church of Laodicea. May we always be like the church of Philadelphia and may we never become like the church of Laodicea. Look at verse 17. Here's why they were spiritually apathetic. For you say, I am rich. And by the way, this sounds so much like so many churches in America right here. And this is why I'm always encouraging people, go to Haiti, go to Haiti, go to Haiti. If you've never been to a third world nation, if you've never been on the mission field, whether it's Haiti or some other place, go spend a week, minister to orphans, and see the huts and the shacks and the dirt floors that, by the way, most of the world lives like that. Let's get out of our bubble for a little while so that we can have attitudes of gratitude that the Lord would actually let us live in this country at the level he lets us live. I counsel you, I'm sorry, verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered. How many churches this morning, they're not teaching Jesus as the center, they're not teaching the word of God at all. They're giving a motivational speech about how you can prosper in life and and, and big giant auditoriums are filling up with people who are so self-centered that they want a message about how I can be prosperous in my life. They don't wanna hear about how they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. They just want a positive message to tickle their ears. It's the church of Laodicea. He says, for you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and if that's not enough for you, naked too. I mean, talk about a difficult diagnosis again. And aren't you glad the Lord loves us so much he'll tell us the truth even though it hurts? His his goal is not for you and I to feel good. His goal is to make us like Christ. So he tells us the truth. So if you're taking notes, even though the Laodiceans were wealthy, they were spiritually bankrupt. That's the Lord's assessment as he looks looks deep into their hearts. What a contrast, by the way, between the church of Laodicea and the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna, these, these people were dirt poor, and yet Jesus said to that church, you're rich. right? You're spiritually rich. Even though you don't have a lot of material things and material prosperity, you're rich. And yet he says to the church of Laodicea, you got all that you need. Materially speaking, you're, those people were so rich, but Jesus says, you are spiritually bankrupt, you're poor. And I believe the difference between the believers in Smyrna and the people in Laodicea, the reason I say people is because I, I personally feel like there's, that church was mixed with backslidden Christians and lost people. And I'll, I'll talk about that more later on. But the difference between The believers in Smyrna, and some believers, some not believers, uh, the people in Laodicea, the difference is the people in Smyrna, they trusted in the Lord. They relied on the Lord. They leaned on the Lord. They looked to the Lord for all their needs. Church of Laodicea, well, they relied on their wealth. What is it about wealth that causes our hearts to grow callous to the Lord? I think it's because when you have everything, why do you need God? And that's our nation. That's our nation. And so I think that's why Proverbs 30 says this. Check this out. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not exalting being poor. I'm not saying that at all. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being rich. Right? We all, we've all heard these, heard these sermons. There's nothing wrong with having possessions as long as possessions don't have you. right? money. Um, is a great tool, but it's a cruel master. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Abraham, who by the way was the father of faith, (laughs) talk about a guy who relied on the Lord, he was a wealthy man. So Abraham did not trust in his wealth, he trusted in the Lord. And so for wealthy people, it's important they never begin to trust their wealth, but they keep trusting in God, why? Why? because you can never really rely completely on your wealth. Just listen to this, Proverbs 23, five. I haven't read this verse in years, but listen to this. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. You guys remember the uh, stock market crash in 2008? An estimated $10 trillion got wings and just flew away from America. And most of us were upside down in our houses for how many years? You can't really rely on wealth, why? Because it's here today and gone tomorrow, but the Lord is a rock who endures forever. The Lord can always be trusted. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you, the necessities of life. God says, I'll provide them for you, I'm a good father. And so at some point, the Laodiceans began to rely on their wealth instead of relying on God. They thought, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I don't need anything. And Jesus said, no, you're poor, and you're naked, and you're blind. Okay, so if you're poor, naked, and blind, what do you need? Look at verses 18 and 19. Here comes the powerful prescription here. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Please say the word gold. Go ahead. Refined by fire so that you may be rich. The idea there is spiritually rich. And white garments, please say white garments. So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve, please say, I solve. To anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And so if somebody is poor, naked, and blind, here's what they need, here's the prescription. That person needs spiritual wealth, spiritual garments, and spiritual vision. And so once again, Laodicea, famous for their wealth at the crossroads of two major Roman roads, marketplaces, center of commerce, known for their wealth, And yet Jesus said, you're spiritually bankrupt. The Lord tells them, I counsel you to buy from me gold, listen to this, refined by fire so that you may be spiritually rich. I'm so glad that as we walk with the Lord, I mean, when we're serious about walking with the Lord, you know what he does sometimes? He sovereignly brings trials, difficulties into our life. And why does he do that? He does that the same reason a goldsmith puts... Gold into a fiery furnace to get rid of the cheap impurities so that gold is valuable. It's the same thing in our life. He brings difficulties, interpersonal conflict, problems and issues. I mean, come on, how many times do we face this stuff, right? And so the next time that happens to you, which might be tomorrow or at least by Wednesday it'll happen. (laughs) The next time that happens to you, don't curse that difficulty or problem. Thank the Father that he loves you so much he's gonna send fire into your life and in my life so that we may be refined to get rid of all the cheap impurities and to conform us into the image of Christ. Then we're gold that's valuable in the Father's eyes. You need spiritual wealth, Laodicea, and you also need spiritual garments. And so Laodicea was famous for their clothing industry, but they're spiritually naked. And so the Lord said, I counsel you to come and buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And so I'm so glad, man, that when, when somebody, and we were all lost at one point in our lives, right? Every single one of us, this is, this is what you gotta get if you're new to church and new to Christianity, that everybody on earth is not God's child. There's lost people and there's saved people. Now, we're all God's children as far as he created us, that's true, but spiritually speaking, not everybody is going to heaven when they die, they need Jesus. And I'm so glad that when somebody, the best way they know how, turns from their sin, from living for themselves and turns to Jesus Christ, recognizing that his death on the cross was the full payment for their sins, right? Because the wages of sin is what? Death, we deserve death, we deserve hell. Jesus said, no, I love them. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna pay their penalty in their place. And he died and he rose again the third day. And so when that person turns to Jesus Christ and receives that that, uh, Jesus as their Savior and Lord, what does he do? Before they were, they were spiritually naked and ashamed and like Adam and Eve, can you see Adam and Eve after they sinned, they ate the forbidden fruit and they're running away from the presence of God and they're hiding and they're trying to sew fig leaves together and cover their nakedness, why? Um, I believe personally that the fig leaves are a symbol of trying to get to God through your good works. I'll be good, Lord, and then if I'm good enough, then I can earn my way to heaven. Wrong answer. The Lord had to go kill an animal, take the blood sacrifice, the skin of that animal, and clothe them, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so aren't you glad that when someone turns to Christ, Christ clothes that person? They used to be spiritually ashamed and naked and and embarrassed and humiliated, but now, because of what Jesus did, they're clothed in white garments, washed in the blood of Jesus, and they can stand faultless before the throne of an awesome, holy God. Isn't Isn't that amazing? And it's all grace, not based on what we do, based on what Jesus has done. And so Laodiceans, some of you guys are lost in this church, and man, you need a white garment. And by the way, not only that, but Laodicea was famous for their eye salve, that medical school in, in Laodicea that exported eye salve all across the Roman world. And so, man, they're thinking, you want to see better? You want to get rid of that irritation? Have Take our eye salve. And the Lord's saying, you're doing that, but you're spiritually blind. And so what do you need? He says, I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And I'm so glad. Listen, you will never see the Lord. You will never see spiritual things as long as you remain prideful and arrogant when we humble ourselves and when we're broken over our sin and we come to Jesus in childlike faith, all of a sudden, boop, he gives us spiritual eyes. And now all of a sudden we have a hunger for the word of God, we have a thirst for the spirit of God, we wanna get to church, we wanna worship the Lord, we wanna tell others about Jesus. And so spiritual wealth, spiritual garment, spiritual vision, Jesus says, come and buy. Now, don't let that trip you up. The Lord is not saying you gotta pay for these things okay? Uh, he's just using an illustration. Remember the master illustrator? And so he goes to their city. He sees what's going on, and he uses illustrations from their city. And you remember, it's a center of commerce. There's marketplaces. There's lots of buying and selling in the different booths. Jesus is over here saying, hey, you're all over in those booths buying stuff. Come to my booth and come get some spiritual garments and spiritual eye salve and, and and you, he's not saying you got to buy these things, got to pay for these things. No, he's just using an illustration. Here's what the whole New Testament teaches: that all of the spiritual riches that we have in Christ have been paid for at the cross, free of charge. Just go to Him. Look at verse twenty now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If Anyone, you see that? How many of you guys believe that God is not willing that any should perish? Anybody. You say, Pastor Mike, you don't know me, I'm too much of a sinner. Your name is right there, anyone. Hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, the word conquer means overcome. We've now, for I think the seventh time, How how do you overcome the world? Those who are born of God overcome the world. You gotta be born again and then the Spirit of God comes inside of you and then he gives you the power to live the victorious Christian life. I've said that over and over every week. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Wow. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And so ruling with Christ in the millennial kingdom, getting crowns, casting those crowns at his feet, going and ruling over five cities, 10 cities, just actively serving the Lord in the millennial age, reigning with him. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now go back to verse 20, because here's how we're gonna end the sermon, but please stay with me all the way to the end. This is powerful. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you see that, knock, 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 knock? He's not kicking it in, he's not forcing himself on anybody. He's not saving anybody against their will. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, In into him and eat with him and he with me. And so even though, if you're taking notes, the Laodiceans were spiritually poor, naked, and blind, Jesus still loved them. He could have walked up to this church, looked into the church window, saw their spiritual condition and all their sin and all their spiritual apathy, and he could have went and walked away. But what did he do? He says, I love the sinners in that church, and I'm gonna knock, and I'm gonna keep knocking. I'm not gonna force myself. I'm not gonna kick the door down. I'm gonna knock. But notice Please notice he's outside the church. Now that tells me one of two things. Either one, this church is full of backslidden Christians who are far away from God and they're out of fellowship with the Lord. Or number two, the church is just filled with lost people who don't know the Lord and so they're out of relationship. Here's what I personally believe. I think it's both. They're all mixed up in there. And either way, the Lord's out here, and he's like, hey, Christian, won't you come back? Open the door. Stop living for yourself, live for me. This life's a vapor, eternity's forever. Knock, knock, knock. Or he's saying to the lost person in there, hey, you're in your sin, and if you die in your sin, you're not gonna like where you wake up, but I died to take care of that. But you gotta open the door gotta open the door. And so is the Lord knocking on your heart? Are you a Christian who's out of fellowship with the Lord? Won't you open the door? He said, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you. Is the Lord knocking on your door? Maybe you don't know if you're saved. You don't know if you're going to heaven when you die. You gotta get your sins forgiven. Will you open the door? And so here's how we're gonna end the service today. And, and those of you who are walking close with the Lord, please start praying right now, because every time we do this, spiritual warfare takes place. But right now, if you're in one of those two groups, you're out of fellowship with the Lord and you need to come back, or you're not sure if you're saved and you need to have your sins forgiven, I'm just gonna ask you to just stand to your feet right now, so remain standing. Don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed of Christ. He wasn't embarrassed or ashamed of you when he hung naked on a cross. Just stand up, God bless you. Let's, let's, let's encourage these people as they stand up all over the room. God bless you, ma'am, in the back. Don't, God bless you, don't, don't hesitate. Just, just get up wherever you are. Get back in fellowship with the Lord. And church family, we can do better than that. This takes courage. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know how much you love them. Just stand and remain standing. Just stand and remain standing. This takes courage, and this is awesome. And I know there's, this is gonna be the last call, but I know there's more people because you're, you're hearing this voice. Like, just just sit for a little while longer. It's almost over, right? But Jesus is knocking, and he's like, man, let me in. Let me in. Once you let him in, is there anybody else? Just stand and remain standing, and we're gonna take care of this right now. We're gonna open the door. Anybody else, just stand to your feet. Okay, so church family, for those who had the courage to stand, can you one, one more time encourage them because that's hard. That's really hard. That's really hard. Okay. So for those of you who are standing, I'm not sure where you're at um, with the Lord. Maybe some of you are Christians who are coming back. Praise God. Maybe some of you... are. Um, first time you've never received Jesus as your savior. Praise God. So we'll take care of that in the prayer. So I'm going to lead you in prayer. And what we're going to do, the whole church family is going to say it out loud in support of you guys as you're saying it out loud. But don't make this mistake. Don't just repeat a prayer like a poem. Okay, so right now, Jesus by his spirit is here and you're talking to him. And basically all we're doing is, Lord, I'm turning from my own way. I'm recognizing you as my Savior and Lord. And so out loud, from your heart, um, and everybody, we're gonna join in to support them, say this to Jesus, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I deserve death and hell, but I believe you came and you paid that debt. You experienced hell on the cross You died in my place. You paid for my sins. Thank you for your love. I believe you rose again the third day. And I confess you as Lord. I open the door. And I say, come in. Be my savior. Be my master. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.